Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, again, I'm, I'm Travis. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, good to be in God's Word together. We are continuing in a series in the book of Second Timothy uh, throughout the rest of the summer. Uh, apart from uh, next week, which will be uh, my installation service, I'm going to have uh, one of my mentors and, and good friends, Rob Hamby, is going to be here and he'll preach for us. Uh, next week, so we'll take a brief pause in our series, but we are continuing today in the series that we've been calling Follow the Pattern of Grace, uh, looking at one of the letters that Paul wrote near the end of his life uh, to prepare his friend and ministry partner, Timothy, uh, and the church outside of that for a time when Paul wouldn't be on this earth anymore encouraging them to follow the life-changing, unmatched pattern of grace that he preached as an apostle of Jesus Christ. In this letter, we'll be focusing particularly on Paul's emphasis on grace, uh, where it comes from, what it looks like, um, what it looks like when grace is not there in your life, and how it changes us and our relationships, leads us through suffering, strengthens, and encourages us. We're focusing on grace in this book because, well, one, there are so many things that you can focus on, but because grace is such a quintessential hallmark of the Christian life that it's deeply important that we, if we claim to be Christians, know it, that it's actually living in us, that it lives out through us to our community, that we might be changed by it, and that the greater Cambridge and Boston area might be changed by it as well. And today we're going to be looking at how Paul encourages us to be strengthened by grace. So I want us to look at the source of grace uh, in verses 1 and 8, being strengthened by that grace. We'll kind of jump back to, to verse 1 there. And then strengthened for what, right? To, to, what, to what end in verses 3 through 6 and 9 through 10. So we are going to be leaving some things on the table. That's just going to happen. It has to be uh, with, with our time and not keeping us here way too long. Uh, but we will focus again on the source of grace, on being strengthened by that grace, and then strengthened to what purpose? Why? 
But before we do that, I encourage you, invite you to bow your heads and pray with me and ask God to fill up our time. Let's pray. God, we come and still our hearts before you again this morning, knowing that you are the one who says to us, be still and know that I am God. God, how difficult that is for us to sit down and be still. We live in a world that doesn't really encourage us to do that, that forgets what it is to have rest and peace, that is always on the go, always on the search for that next thing, for that that home that we hope to have and yet just always seem to be short of. Would you bring us back to knowing what it is to be at home in your grace this morning, to sit there, to sit under it, to be still in it, to know that there is nothing more that has to be done. Pray that you would do that for us this morning, for each and every heart that's here. Would you speak to them of your grace, of who you are, of how good you are, of your kindness and goodness and gentleness. So pray that you might do that now just by your grace, in your Son's name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to jump right into our first point, the source of grace. If you have your Bibles this morning, feel free to keep those open. We will go back through the text a little bit here. But Paul calls us in verse 1 to be strengthened by the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. There's not really a mystery. We're not going to take a long time to figuring if Jesus is the source or not. Paul just hits you in the face with it right in chapter 2. Jesus is the source of the grace that we need to be strengthened by. He's where we find the source of grace in our lives. It's found in him, the eternal son of God who became fully human to be able to identify with us and yet remained fully God to be able to rescue us who brought us back from sin and death by dying in our place on the cross to take all the judgment that was rightly due to sin. All right, I'm going to switch over here. I'm having too many problems. Okay, can you hear me? All right, I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going anywhere else this morning. My tendency to wander is going to be stopped. Okay, so... Jesus is the one who takes all the punishment that is due to the sin in our lives. We do want things to be fixed. We do want justice to come. We do want wrongs to be made right. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. He, he writes the wrongs that we have done to each other, to our world, to God, in paying for those things in total with his perfect life, his substituting sacrifice, standing in for us there so that when we believe in him by faith, it happens so that we stand with him there. As we talked about in baptism, it's as if we died with him. It's as if we rose with him. Jesus there takes and finishes all the judgment that needed to come that we might be brought back into a gracious relationship with God. Because God, as we said, relates to us through promises, through covenant. A covenant has both blessings and curses. It has obligations, things that are supposed to be done, the way that life is supposed to work. And what we say through Scripture's understanding is that we have walked away from those covenant promises and blessings, and we have invoked upon ourselves the curses for not walking in the ways that God holds out to us as life. 
Those things are meant to be guardrails that steer us away from the things that would lead us to death. That's what the curses are. The blessings are the incentives that are meant to lead us back to the path of life. And it's Jesus who is the one who perfectly walked that path, stood under the penalty that he did not deserve, that in being united to him, we might have grace. We might be back in relationship with God where the promises are ours to enjoy. It's in him, in his resurrection, that we are raised up from the death of our separation from God. That's the source of grace that Paul wants us to know. And yet Paul goes on in verse 8 to expand a little, to give a little more color to what the grace of God in Jesus Christ looks like. Let's look at that. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We talked about that. The offspring of David. Didn't talk about that. What's this about? The descendant, the offspring, the the heir of David. Why is that detail important? Why does that give us something more of the source of the grace of God? We actually have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where after David tells God that he's going to make a house for him, he's going to build him a temple. Up until this time, God has been dwelling with his people in the tabernacle, which was an ornate, elaborate tent. God's people were always on the move and God was always moving with them. But now God's people have been settled in the land that he gave to them to be that light to the nations, a light to the world to show them what God's grace is like. And David says, I want to build a permanent home for you here. And hear the grace of God in his response to David. David wants to do something for him. And God tells David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David says, I want to do all these things for you. And God says, I hear that. But I am the one who gives to you. It says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God promised to David to bring a king, right? Someone that would sit on the throne, whose throne would be established forever. That's going to be a king. David is a king. God's promising him a king to follow after him. And a king whose kingdom is the kind of kingdom that you want to last forever. God doesn't do elections like we do elections. God's not like four years and then, oof, you know, no more. God is setting up a kind of kingdom that you would want to last forever. A kind of king who would bring to the people of God and all the people of the world a more transformative relationship with God that would change the nature of humanity's relationship to God, who would build a house for his name that might be a permanent meeting place. Jesus Christ is that house of his name that is that permanent meeting place for humanity with God. Jesus, Paul says, is that king that was promised. He is God making good on his promises in the past. Parents in here, Nate and Bridget, I want you to hear that this morning. God makes good on his promises of the past. 
This is God keeping promises that he made a long time ago. Maybe you are a parent now in your older years and you have children that have walked away. See God who over time keeps his promises. Maybe you've been waiting on God for something for a long time through this year, through months, through years longer than that. See a God who keeps his promises. See the faithfulness of God over time in Jesus Christ. But I want us to see maybe more specifically than just the faithfulness of God, who God was faithful to, what God was faithful to in the face of. Because if we look at the kings that followed David, those that came after him, we would naturally question why God kept his promise. These were not the best of the best. In fact, if you read First and Second Kings, the, the chronicles of the kings of Israel, you find that most of them were terrible people at best, and they were not much better rulers. And that because of them, Israel suffered and knew God less. Because of them, the world suffered and knew God less. These were not the kind of people that you feel like, I have got to keep my promises to them. They need this, right? They have been following me. They see me. That's not who God is keeping his promise to. And yet, God keeps his promise. Despite how they live. He brought this restorative, gracious king in Jesus, this more permanent house, this more permanent relationship to him, despite how they lived. From this broken family, through these messed up people, through this, I think we see a new depth to the grace of God, a new depth to the source of grace. Because when we see Jesus as the descendant of David, we see a God whose grace actually comes through failures. We see a God whose grace actually comes through flaws, actually works through sins. It isn't stopped by them, it actually comes through them. Because it was through David's wicked line, not around it, that God brought healing to the world in Jesus Christ. He didn't choose some other way. He didn't say, I'm starting over because of how you lived. He didn't say, I'm starting over because you haven't listened. He didn't say, I'm starting over because you haven't been with me this whole time. He worked right down the middle of that terrible, broken, hot mess. God worked healing and grace through this line. He brought healing to sinners. I want you to hear this through sinners. God brought healing to sinners through sinners, through a broken line. He brought this all through those terrible kings. God brought his perfect son into the world through this messed up family. He brought grace and redemption about through them in that line in a line that if we go back through Scripture even farther, was already messed up before it got to David. God made promises to somebody who was already in a line of broken people, expecting, knowing that more brokenness was coming, and God keeps his promise despite that. He works through that, not around that. That's the source of grace that we have, one that isn't overcome by brokenness, but that uses brokenness to heal us. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does on the cross. 
He uses brokenness, injustice, suffering to bring healing. It was the plan. The cross was the path. There was no going around it. There was no other way. This was the way. In the same way, David's broken, messed up family was the way that God was going to work. Through sinners, for sinners. Think about what that means for your life. For your failures and mistakes. For mine. To have a God who brings grace out of your mess. Through our mess. Through our mistakes. That isn't hindered by them. That isn't stopped by them. It isn't God saying, well, there's a dead end now because this is how you've lived. That God breaks through these things and keeps moving because this is the way that grace works. This is the source of grace, that it comes through sinners to sinners. That's the way that he works in our lives. With all of our problems, with all of the ways that you are a walking mess today, right? The ways that we don't even know about, the things that we haven't explored, the things that, that counseling would take some time to unearth for us. With you as you are, God is pleased to work. God is pleased to bring grace to you. God is pleased to bring grace through you as you are today. As you have been in the past, not despite your past, not unable to handle your past, but walking graciously hand in hand with you from who you have been to who you will be. God offers that kind of grace as the source of our strength. A grace capable of rising up through sin and breaking it apart. Not one that has to go around it. That's the kind of grace, the source of grace that we have. But I want to help us see as we turn to our second point here, being strengthened by grace, that the call to be strengthened, strengthened by this redemptive source of grace actually implies that we need to be strengthened. These two are tied together. It's helping us see that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. That we are not now, or maybe won't be in the future, strong enough to live the Christian life. To have what God would have us have in our lives. To do what he would call us to. To be the kind of people that he is calling us to. means that with God, our weakness, our need, our inability is actually expected and okay. It's expected and okay to not be strong enough. To not have it all figured out yet. God doesn't expect you, hear this, God doesn't expect you to never be in need of him. The complete opposite. He just expects to meet your needs. God doesn't expect you to never be in need of him, to never ask him something, to never find yourself in a place where you're at the end of your rope. God just expects to meet you there. That's what Paul is calling our attention to and telling us to be strengthened, verse 1, by grace. That God expects you to need him. 
God expects it. He expects that you're going to need him, and he desires, he plans to provide. He actually expects that you're going to mess up this week. He expected that you would have problems last week. He expected that you would have problems this morning to fall short in your life in some way. He expects that you're going to make mistakes that you couldn't imagine that you would do, that that there are mistakes that you've made in the past that you just can't get over for yourself. He expects that these things would come. And he expects that you're going to need his strength and grace to get through them. It's actually expected that you would not be strong enough. That's actually the whole reason Jesus came, because we were not strong enough. We didn't have the strength in us to save ourselves, to break down the walls of sin in our own hearts, let alone anyone else's heart. Jesus came because we couldn't save ourselves, because we needed someone else to help us. He came because we needed him. He died on the cross for our sins because we needed him. He rose from the grave and brought us with him in that because we needed him. He's coming back with eternal glory to restore all that's broken through us and around us because we need him. And he holds out this grace to you today because we need him. Grace is there because you need him. Not because it's expected that you never will. Grace is not a reserve fund that you never touch. Grace is your checking account. Okay? Grace is your checking account. You should be using it regularly. You should expect that you're drawing on it. And with God, that bank account is always full. Always full. Use grace as your checking account. Because Jesus meant for that to be the case. He came because you need him. He expects it. So why, and I want to ask myself this too, why do we live like we can't ask for help? Like it's really not okay to do that. It's really not okay to be a person that's kind of a mess. It's really not okay to be broken. It's really not okay to not have it all figured out. It's really not okay to not be sure what I'm doing with my career at school, in my relationships, with my parenting, with my my family and my friends. It's not okay. Why do we live if Jesus came because we need him, if he came because he expected, he knew that we would need him, that we would be weak? Why do we live still like it's not okay to be weak, to be wrong? Maybe even to be badly mistaken for years of your life. Because God's grace is the kind of grace that lets us make mistakes. It lets us have flaws. It lets us be people that are kind of difficult. And doesn't cast us off because that's who we are. God's grace lets us learn, recover, and grow. Parents, I want you to hear that. Jacksons, I want you to hear that this morning. That this is the kind of grace that lets you make mistakes, even big ones, with how you parent your kids. And still learn, recover, and grow. 
Kids, if you're still there, still with us, even big kids, right? Adults. This is the kind of grace that lets you make mistakes with how you listen to and love your parents and family, that lets you even burn bridges to the ground, and still lets you learn, recover, and grow. Church family, anyone that calls CTK home, this is the kind of grace that lets you be people here who make mistakes with each other, against each other, and yet also lets you learn, recover, and grow. It lets this be a community where it's okay to make mistakes, where grace is actually a real thing that we have and that we offer one another. And I'm not saying here that we gloss over sin or that we excuse it. We should not and we ought not, though we do forgive. But sometimes sin has consequences that are hard to undo in this life. Sometimes relationships break in a way that can't be fixed this side of heaven. I'm not saying to put yourself in an unsafe situation, to suffer abuse when you ought not suffer abuse. But I am saying that we don't stop being a people who need God and who expect others to need God too. That mess can still happen and that can still be true of us. That relationships can change maybe in a way that we can't fix and that can still be true of us. That we don't let it shape us into someone that can't still be held by and hold on to grace. This is the kind of grace that strengthens us. But strengthened for what? To what end? Getting to our, our final point here. Certainly for all of life, right? All that was broken by the curse of sin, grace is there for that. But Paul is pointing out to something in particular that he wants Timothy and us by extension to be strengthened for. A particular thing that we are going to need the strength of grace for. And he says that that's for pursuing the mission of God and the suffering that will come with it. That comes out in verses 2 and 3 and later 9 and 10. Because in verse 2, Paul tells Timothy to pass on the pattern of grace that he has received and to pass it on to others who should share it as well. That's the mission, right? He says, be strengthened by the grace that you have found in Jesus Christ and teach others, share what you have received from me. Be strengthened by grace to share with others the grace that has been shared with you. That's the mission. That's the whole mission of the Christian life until Christ comes back, to share what has been shared with you. But Paul says that mission will bring suffering. Verse 3. Not might, but will. He calls us to share in suffering together. The word is actually suffer together in the ancient language. It's not sort of an optional I suffer sometimes, you suffer other times, but we are called to be a people who suffer together for this mission, on this mission. The expectation is that it will come. The question is, will we endure under it or not? See, Christianity is real about what the world is like. We're not pretending that everything is going to be great. It's not pretending that your life is going to be easier by being a Christian. It says it will be hard. It may get harder when it comes. Be strengthened by grace. Paul knows that intimately. He's already suffering for it in verses 9 through 10. He talks about that. 
how he is in chains, unjustly so. We believe writing uh, from Rome at this time, late in his life, imprisoned. But he says he's enduring that, that injustice, that wrongful accusation, being under arrest for something that he didn't do wrong, so that every person that Jesus Christ died for, he says the elect, that's what that means, should obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, a salvation that works through sin to undo sin, that everyone who has been called by God should have that salvation with all of its eternal glory. That's the vision before him. That's what he is staring at. Not his comfort, not his control, not his approval. He is staring down at that one thing that everyone that God calls would actually have what Paul has been entrusted with, what you and I have been entrusted with. That's what he is focused on. That's what's in front of him. And he says, it's worth it. All of it has been Worth it. As one who is already suffering for sharing that pattern of grace, and if you go into 2 Corinthians, you can read about many of the ways that Paul suffered beyond this. Someone who has already suffered all those things is saying, all that is worth it. And he is calling us as someone who has already suffered these things. He's not saying it as someone who is sort of standing on the sidelines, who's never gotten his hands dirty, who's never had a hard day. To, well, you know, you work hard. Paul is saying this as someone who has the lash marks on his back from being beaten for the faith, who has been almost killed several times, who has been shipwrecked several times. Paul is saying this to us as someone who has been there in front of us, calling us to endure in these ways, calling us to be strengthened by grace so that we can stand in the gap for others in the way that he has been standing in the gap, that they might know the grace of Jesus Christ as well, this source of grace that works through the sin in our lives, that isn't broken by it, that's faithful over time. He wants others to know the grace that he knows. It is a burning desire for him. May it be a burning desire for us as we catch hold of what the grace of God really is, that others might have this too, that we would be so willing that they would have it, that we might suffer for it ourselves, that we would say, this is totally worth it. I hate this, right? I hate suffering, but this is totally worth it. See, Paul's call to be strengthened by grace for this mission calls back, uh, ties back, I'm sorry, to our call last week to have a legacy of grace, to have a legacy of faith. To think about who we want to know Jesus through us. To think about the kind of impact we want to have in our community because they know Jesus through us. And Paul points out that that legacy comes at a cost. Every legacy does. It comes at a cost. There's going to be a fight and a struggle to get there. And Paul's urging us to stay the course for that legacy of grace. For that legacy of faith for sharing the pattern that has been shared with us and doing so even when things get hard. Not just when times are easy and it's comfortable, but when things are hard. To lean into your community, to lean into Christian community here when things get hard, not just when they are easy. When we're bumping up against one another, when we don't agree to continue to lean into grace, be strengthened by grace in those moments that we might continue to know the pattern ourselves and take the pattern out to others. Paul urges us to stay the course with some imagery, 
uh, verses 3 through 6, you can look there. He uses different examples trying to encourage us to lean into suffering for this mission. He, he calls us to be like the disciplined soldier in verses 3 through 4, not forgetting the mission or getting distracted, but to stay focused. He calls us in verse 5 to be like the focused, upstanding athlete, not giving in too early, not giving up when it gets hard in the midst of the race, not seeking a shortcut and a way around, not failing to put in the work, but continuing to press on towards the prize. Verse 6, he calls us to be like the tireless, determined farmer. Uh, in the original language, the word is giving the, 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 the sense of someone that just doesn't stop. Right? Someone that is putting in the time, that is up early, that is to bed late, that is doing everything they can to make sure that this crop comes through. Not choosing comfort over the mission. In all these things, Paul is calling us, each of these examples is pointing to staying the course like those who are focused on receiving their reward. That's what each of those pictures is actually about. In each way, one of those people, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, would be focused on a reward. They were not just punishments in the Roman army for not obeying and not doing your duty. They were actually financial rewards for doing what you were supposed to do. That's what it's talking about when it says it would want to please the one that, that commissioned them, that enlisted them, to have the financial reward. There was an incentive. In the same way, athletes would be crowned with a, a crown, would be rewarded with a prize for their performance, for performing well. There was something to chase down, a reward. In the same way, the farmer is rewarded with a crop, with the fruit of their labors. Paul gives us these pictures to help us strain forward for grace as those with their eyes on a reward, on a prize, on something to chase down. To not lose sight of what we have been given, but to be strengthened by the grace of God for it. That we might share his grace. Because grace, again, is meant to be shared. It is family-style dining, right? It is meant to be shared out from us. We're called to do all that sharing, all that focusing, all that pursuing the reward, not by our strength, though. Let's not get lost in the midst of the call and what Paul isn't putting in front of us in these examples. He is still saying, do all these things as those strengthened by grace. Not out of your strength, but out of God's strength. We're called to struggle and fight for a legacy of grace, to share the source and the power of the Christian life with others as people who still need God's help, who are still weak, who still don't have enough strength in ourselves, don't have enough knowledge in ourselves, who are still broken in some ways, who get distracted easily and forget the mission of God for months or years at a time. He calls us to these things as those he knows are going to look for a shortcut at times, that don't want to put in the patience of having the legacy that lasts well beyond our time because we put in the time of years and decades of faithful, patient waiting and work. He calls us to these things as those who he knows at times are going to give up on the project. We're just going to be way too focused on ourselves or on something else, on career, on, on work, on family, on relationships, on whatever it is, on those who are just at times, as verse 13 says, going to be faithless. 
He calls us to these things as the one who, even when we are faithless, remains faithful. To rely on his strength is the call, not to do this in and of ourselves. He is inviting us to do this with his strength. God expects that those things are going to happen. It's not the end when those things happen to you. It's not the end when those things happen in our community. It's just a new opportunity to see God's grace at work. That's why he reminds us of his grace here, so that people in need of grace will keep coming back to grace. We are so used to earning and trying to work and get approval and accomplishments ourselves that it's really hard to get away from that. That we read this and we think, got it, receive grace so that I can do it myself and not need you. No. It's receive grace that you might keep coming back to grace. That it would never for a day ever be about you being strong enough to do it yourself. He calls us to these things so that people in need of grace will keep coming back to grace. So in closing, let me give you two practical things as I try to do each week of how we can apply these things to our lives in a more tangible way. I want to encourage you to do two things to expect and to own. First, expect. I want to encourage you in a real tangible way before you walk out of here to expect to make a mistake today. Whether that's a sin or not, right? Whether that's I just make a wrong turn in getting out of here and I get a little lost or I lose a little bit of time or something happens, expect to make a mistake today. Expect to have a sin or a failure in the way that you would like to live in your life this week. Plan for that. Plan for this week to need grace. Plan to use your checking account of grace this week. Expect that you are going to have to make a withdrawal. Okay, just expect that. Make that note for yourself right now so that when that moment comes, you don't go, "Uh uh-oh, no budget for this. Didn't plan for this. You can just go, checking account, and just pull that little grace cash right out of there. Expect that you're going to need grace. Start looking at your mistakes and your sins as the very place that God's grace is actually going to show up. Not the end of you being accepted by him, not the end of your relationships, not the end of you belonging here, but just as where God's grace is going to show up. Expect that mistakes are not the end for you and ask for God's help in them. He is expecting that you need him. Expect to need God in some way this week. Expect to be embarrassed by how you've acted, by what you've said, by what you did or didn't do. Expect to need God's grace. Expect to need Jesus this week. And finally, own. I want to encourage you relatedly to own a mistake this week. To really acknowledge that. To own up to that, whether that's with someone close to you, whether that's just in the, in the moment with a, a coworker, with a classmate, with a, a roommate, the friend, a spouse, kids, whatever it may be. Own that mistake in the moment. Be someone who has grace that they can draw on, who doesn't have to say, I can't acknowledge that. That's not me. I didn't do that. But to be someone who can say, I did all of that. Maybe worse than you know. Maybe really own in to where your heart was in that to just how selfish you were in that moment, how selfish I was in that moment, how much I loved something else more than I loved you. 
And just see that as an opportunity to, again, draw on grace. Own something that you have done this week, whether that's something in the past or something that's going to come up for you right now. It's okay. You can be wrong. You really can be. It's actually expected. So lean in in a concrete way to the grace of God this week by owning a mistake. Put your weight on God's grace as if he can actually hold you, as if it really will be okay to be wrong. But he's going to see you through that. Put your weight on it. Take some risk. Enter into that. And if you don't have this belief, if you don't have this source of grace, consider what it would look like to have something like this in your life where it is really okay to be wrong, where the answer isn't just you finally get it right and we accept you again, but that you could just be wrong. You could just be a person that's hard to live with. And there would be grace for you. There would be welcome for you as a place where it's expected that you're going to need grace. Because we're not going to find that outside of the gospel. You're not going to find something like that outside of Jesus. Consider what it might be like to let God's grace be sufficient for you, to just let you be human and someone who makes mistakes, someone who gets things really wrong sometimes. Let his power be made perfect in your weakness. Let his strength be on display that you and all of us around you might see something more beautiful than just one person who got it right but that we might see sinners saved by grace, for which God says the angels in heaven rejoice over one repentant sinner. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace that you give to sinners. Thank you that you work through our mistakes. You're not stopped by them. It's not game over. It's just a new opportunity to see how good and gracious and loving you are. Thank you that you keep your commitments, your promises over time. But God, we confess all the ways that we still keep turning to our own strength time and again that it's just so hard for us to hold on to the idea that we could have this checking account of grace with you, that we could have something that we draw on again and again, that you expect that we're going to need you. So God, help us. Change our hearts to know that it's okay to need you. Help us to expect that we're going to need you, to, to know that you're going to be there for us. Help us to own mistakes in our lives this week, knowing that you're going to be there for us. Help us keep focused on the legacy of grace, on this reward that you have put in front of us. Help us to do that as those strengthened by your grace, not by ours. It's in your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, if you weren't with us last week, we've started doing things just a little bit differently. Once we've brought our children's worship back for the summer, we're also bringing our kids back.